Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Read Aloud. Um, I'm really happy to welcome um, some of the contributors to Naked Sunfish uh, here today. Uh, Rick Brown and his wife Yvonne are here, Alyssa Phillips and John Bennett. And we're going to hear some poetry, some music, and something sporadic and spontaneous, I'm sure. So thanks to all of you for coming out. How's that back there? That's better. All right. All right. I'm going to read uh, some real old poems of mine that were just published in uh, book form recently. Uh, this is actually two books in here, Spitting and The Dreams. The Dreams was also just published in a French translation. Don't have a copy of that. Handy. Castle. She found in the next room a bucket of fish. She found in the next room a cigar and cement. She found in the next room a radio falling from a ladder. She found in the next room a chair heaped with hats. She found in the next room a wind full of corners. She found in the next room a basket of hair. She found in the next room a dog turning around. She found in the next room a shirt harboring hammers. She found in the next room a splintered bed. She found in the next room a burning cinder block. She found in the next room a purse of coins. My underwear. I was stumbling my underwear over my legs. I was thinking of my pants snagged on my underwear, of the spots on my underwear. I was walking my underwear through the kitchen. I was sitting on them on the bus, looking out the window through thoughts of my underwear. I was standing by a desk in my underwear. I was fingering my keys over my underwear. I was shrugging my shirt. I was counting my socks. I was loosening my belt. I was wearing the underwear like a mask with my nose hanging out where my legs should be. <laughs> Itching. 
My eye was itching as I stared at the doorknob. My knee was itching as I climbed the stairs. As I swept the sand from my chair, my nostril was itching. My chest was itching where my pen dragged down my pocket. My tongue was itching as I slapped the radio. I was itching my lips as I sat on the john. As I breathed to the water, hissing in the pipes. My itching shoes, my sock and hat, my napkin water twitching next my plate where I'm itching the fork asking the itching why I'll eat next week, why my teeth are itching in the discount store why my dick is itching as I run past a lidless manhole, why I stand before a window itching to fly, I'm itching under my sheet I'm scratching my thoughts like ants chaining from the itch on my wrist where my watch used to be I heard rain. I heard rain on the window. I put a chair in the window. I turned my back on the window. Uh, now for some uh, very recent poems. These are a couple things I wrote uh, yesterday. White lungs. Bet you never, huh? Dab the dough nut and your clot hamper, that's your fog rassle. Spot a beat, mimo y mismolo, que trenza caida techo y mis wrinkled coins listen, can't you? But what's the not, just nada mind? The cave with plaster teeth, the river with plaster eyes, the mouth with plaster lungs. Was it a nap? Bult or it, et, at, za kinda hot o off the crawls a lot. Deng show oten fog what tongues not there. Ho matic, dozens buzzins ep to phonographics spidery, clumpy trees far off to left and howling prime ate the scrawling lunch. Spilt or sat or set or sit, closed my hands and folded my eyes. Happy meal. Pestel, pesto, pestered, pancake, placated, or my as whole listed up for lease or loss, oh, but que es eso, una muestra orológica, that's the trick. Slaws the fork or ing path, yeah, okay, por eso. So headed down what's left, a glee fly one with glizzards and a brig stone head. So my plate's a former crack, formal crack off, I eat with joy. Just a comb. 
just a hank of hair, a needle sort of floppy, and I bunced the meter, paid the faucet, dangled out the wall. I aged your stone cube, hematosis, sagging, duplex scored, and a sugar flinger, Claudio. Saws and said, no me abro la boca boligrafiada, it's a change chango, mis tunas podridas, and a lusty comb. Ah-ha! Laughter and lifter and looter and luggage tumbled in your puddled suit. What ticket clouded in your cornered eye, whap sizzled. That's my crenellation, or a knot in a tone around the doors like teeth bullet, knacker fluctuation, or un flujo gusanal, un torbellino intonso twisted in me throat. I coughed it in and out. After cielo, issue, after hall, or haul the ambidextra toward the pared descalcificada, nothing reft mis ventanas en cruz y los libros quemados. La camisa se hunde la foto, tissue for air, soup mi sopa seca, slabrosa mi prensamiento. Falto de risos, me pierdo en el espejo, que no es nada like that. Es rice, es rugs, es temblor que abre el cielo. Closet issue. Issue ants and lungish, what he spread across the tongue, the mirror or cristal, la puerta congelada, it's your fogus, what I masticated through el crepúsculo graciento, or huh, huh, eat the lovely torta dripping with your nombre, what I crenellated, what I plastered with your red and glue, or seize the lobster sprawling in your closet. them. Chim em not em, lord em, tail em, blow em, chew em, clock em, sew em, et em, rincon em, fan em, coin em, soar em, name em, slot em, chupar em, its em, tumble em, tongue em, tumba em, tone em, no em, loan em, twist em, haw em, queso em, Dense em, lo mismo em, can em, nod em, nulo em, nido em, nuts em. Um, since this is a, a naked sunfish event, I thought I would read uh, some of the stuff on the latest uh, issue of that uh, fine uh, magazine. Um, these are some poems I wrote in Spanish, uh, accompanied with uh, transductions by John Cohn into English. 
and these transduction is not a translation. It's a, another uh, process altogether. Fin, por. Tomo lo que duermo, lo que blindo, lo que lamo, lo que sangro, lo que somo, lo que tiendo, lo que duplo, lo que sudo, lo que tifo, lo que llego, lo que dado, lo que endo, lo que mático, lo que... Poor end. I took what I slept, what I armor-plated, what I lamed, what I bled, what I tied, what I doubled, what I saved, what I sickened, what I stole, what I gave, what I finished, what I gave, where I... Cierre. Fustigante ni la forma de mi calmático, mi soga azucarada siembra calcetines en mi frente. Todavía, ola nunca de mi nuca que flota, que sistema gargantal y sendas tuerzas, me veo en la puerta sorda. Sierra, fusti... <coughs> Excuse me. Fusty against the form of my calamity, my blue saga. Afternoons calcified like membranes in my front. Today, oh, annunciation for my floating birth that teems gargantuan and sends huzzas I study by the light of poor soda. Cor, fundar, fumar, hundir, ombrar, dentrar, don aire y la ventana estrella, si lucre fuese sí, tentarón y tumba, trombótico y tunelito. Cor, fun, dear, smoke, dear, hung to dry, man, dented ray, don, Air and vents are real, if sugar fuses, if tent irons and tubas and trombone melodies. Epero, bisturi andamante ya sondameni, churro mojada o cacada. Sueño nuro la canda la candón de fuiste laboroso. Pier, blistering the main with no mother, no cheers for my judo. O Canadian sway, no neural lake for clan donned in fist leprosy. Okay, I'll read a few items from this book called Entes. Guns. Wind, I stuttered in your sleep. 
bludgeon air, your eye gum flies the gnulf te coif, caches down the steps, your cousin toilet thigh, fuel pmud puzzle, fog lab dump focus in your tsir noom phase, chewing at the crinoid plate, a gnip peered headache cough your gum, lock spat, sung puddle. Crossed with dust and toenails, the flapped piece muzzled your intestine leak, some gnicht hissing in the furnace. Gneog, nap your toilet like a tune brush smoldering in the sesub, corpse of shadow larynx. Dust half and sock single, flushing like an index, glow hopping nuts against the bolo's smile, hunted. Shave the lens like dered luom paper in the freezer, just rush outside and flog hunched mice a magazine. Smeared above a pile, so break a dumped stutter shoulder, cash a window, hog a beef gusher. Cut off. Drink shad. Catap las mordido. Fui congele. Gazing cross my eye. Al. He you plump booster no soup. Cashevi dunkelis des dust laden fence dust pill. Exp. Hop rod bunting burns inside the dirt, the glinting shadow scrum. Ah, push me out. Crime. Boom at hink. Not thing. A leak song. Resilience. I met the toop. Ice floor slathered with the cage you saw. Wets. So a cat humble, low on a gut dances off the a boati mess cap, a year wallet wipe dung ladle hopping off the sink. These poems are shaped like L's. something uh, uh, that the title refers to. Blood. 
playing foot a bug. He admired your face intense gash in ten dance thumping in your shrinking shoe. Ha up. Hum, oh, nanomantic shadow, one you spread greasy on the tongue. Platform, slap, hop. E O cage lock freeze as drape the har bars with skin open your ke pool soapy nostrilling earlobe where your temple spins. couple of sonnets here. Small pate. Small smell bunder cave your tumor right and funds at noodle loop the cob moldered in your sock heap. Oh bees thinking in a hole. Shoal or ganinoops. Stop flap and agak your red noodle moped and toweled your bit loof shot snore you popped and gut Isaac you furnished like a gun lynch or blinded soap you cached the pundit lube the letem marking call at sugar's sneaky flume legging toward your at at neutroph sappy hop melting on your pate. Top gip, top and sodden, what a clinger, days of borrow, napped why thinging or your seizure, rats of spandex, gosh, why sudden, each a pullered sod or den. Wheat knowledge, beast or ret truth lucage, what you collared, no at toilet teliot or cottage soured in the cache of time. Clutch or leb. Pool, why rectal mortaled lumber bullets breathing for your hair crushed, erotaval a cubit delbmum at the roarim, floody white, a melting gnoll gip. And I'll finish with uh, a final sonnet here called Saw Dormititis. Saw flab batter de loop dna deren rock porker draped across the seat, your mean indenture quacking like a bathroom. Could we rake those noodles toward the door? Dime could bend. Snort, ah, heap conquered, beats trembled in the gab taib against your leg, why needled in the soups? Cud stroked, clock glanced, dugs smoldered. Crime could bend. Some lather heisted, hetuom fo erech, beasted, 
clown number aged like fish, that meal housing flaked and guttered, was that your dermatitis? Right, thank you. from my nest, I embark upon a lifelong quest, part trial, part pleasure, all to entertain some gilded folk in their leisure. <laughs> it's okay. From cardboard box to palatial gilded cage, a bit apart, I am encouraged to engage. The world around from my secured perch outslats my obstructed view, the truth of the landscape I researched. Sing, pretty bird, sing, pretty bird. Endless this is all I heard, and I sang my beautiful song. For that given from the heart, how can it be wrong? House of gold bars upon the table, peers and pokes and questions from those who are able, curiosities and niceties from all who visit, nothing to do but sing and sit. Until one day the young master with big ideas arrives, and wonders how, at how a creature of light survives. When with a flourish, the door opens wide, my sanctuary quickly invaded by a hand reaching inside. Fly, pretty bird, fly, pretty bird. Endless this is all I heard, and around the room on outstretched wings, I fly free as my heart truly sings. Now near to his desk, I while away my days, Little door open, free to perch and fly in the light through glass rays. At night, closed up tight, safe and secure. By days I sing and fly, content in radiance pure. Basking in his indifference and attentions, I preen, strut, and soar with great intentions. Luxuriating in such wondrous freedom, at peace in his controlled fiefdom. Frolic, little bird, frolic, little bird. Endless, this is all I heard. And I heartily embraced his words and deeds. My instincts, oh, lamentable, I failed to heed. One pleasant summer day, sweet freedom ripped from me away when the fat, sleek Persian came, rendering my wings once again lame. Now I am confined to my perch and cage, doors locked tight to keep me safe, left to bask in my rage. For before I tasted freedom's flight, Truly I was blinded to my plight. Sing, pretty bird, sing, pretty bird. Endless this is all I heard, summer long, until I found my voice, for there was no other choice. Clay, clay cold and motionless on the wheel, the potter can but feel, the vase, the bowl, the cup. With his hands, his skill he raises up. Round and round the wheel spins. This is where the potter's art begins. Forms of beauty and vessels of utility. 
his mind's eye and hand skill, forming and shaping cold clay to his will. To the kiln to be immortalized, with glazes he disguised, the imperfections small, coated in colors all. From earth to fire to table, we grow in beauty as we are able. I wrote this one for my daughter. But I really want to know, it can't be just because you said so. I can't just do as I'm told, no matter how much you scold. Answer, answer my question, please. Is it dangerous when elephants sneeze? I know it's not important, but I have to know. The question sticking in my brain in a rut, flying through my head, round and round. My mind is so busy, even in bed. Questions without answers over here. Answers without questions over there. I know you are tired. My questions exhaust you so. But could you explain just a little mo? I really want to know. It can't just be because you said so. Come back to me. Come back to me to sleep in my arms, to just be. It is lonely here in my room, shadows on the wall casting a pale gloom. The bed empty beside me, this is where you are supposed to be. Come back to me to sleep in, in my arms, to just be. I know you have to be away. I understand this during the light of day. But as shadows fall upon the land, it just does not rest well with slumber's plan. Come back to me to sleep in my arms, to just be. I am greedy for your touch, your presence I miss so very much. My skin cooled by the air tonight, knowing your hands upon my skin would make it right. Come back to me to sleep in my arms, to just be. My slumber far from blissful, tossing and turning, patches of sleep fitful. I long for the peaceful slumber, snuggled in your arms I remember. Come back to me, to sleep in my arms, to just be. Now as I am somewhere nearing, sleep in my mind engineering, visions of you come before my eyes, filling me with warmth I cannot disguise. Come back to me, to sleep in my arms, to just be. Counting the days, one to ten, until we can be warm and snuggled close again, fitting together like spoons by the light of the moon. Come back to me, to sleep in my arms, to just be. But for tonight, I will drift away with images, up in, with images of us in my head at play. Tomorrow, then the next night, one, two, three, praying you hurry back to me. Come back to me to sleep in my arms, to just be. And I'm not only a poet, but I'm also a writer. And some of my fiction has been in the uh, journal as well. And I'm going to read something that has yet to be published that I'm working on. So if you'll indulge me. And it's for the Washington Post annual contest. So you're supposed to look at a picture and write the story. Some of you are nodding like, oh, yeah, we know about this. So it's a picture. This year it's a picture of a woman with a carnival mask on. It's very bright blue. And her eyes are just the most remarkable brown I've ever seen. Music filled the air and the beat pulsed through her body, rattling the pins and bones through her flesh. It reminded her of a time, of another pulsing, charged moment, when the beat has intensified and intensified, 
until it was cataclysmic and the explosion rocked the world, both with its inevitability and intensity. The house on the hill was crowded with revelers, everyone in Monaco celebrating carnival, the season of sin. The ballroom, artfully divided into eating and lounging space and a dance floor, was cramped with bodies moving in time to the music and the thumping, pumping, jumping rhythm of the techno blend. Even the bodies draped across the chases and chairs in the intimate corner sitting area seemed to pulse in time to the hypnotic rhythms. From the packed balcony above, this effervescent stew was both compelling and repulsive. Through the lens of her fathomless dark chocolate eyes, hidden but not concealed by her party mask, Leah surveyed the scene of twisted bodies, smoky air sliced by the lights flashing, thunderous pounding music, and her heartbeat joining the competing reverberations in the room, electric, electric, electrically charged and maddening. Then in a flash of light, blue eyes, the color of the sea, caught her gaze and captivated her with their hypnotic clarity. Elegantly pushing through the bodies in the balcony, moving ever forward towards the stairs into the pit, following the marble steps, Leah pa passed through the throng of people, sinking into the pool of bodies, gesticulating and melting like the ice in the cosmic colored cocktail, saturating her senses, and drowning her sorrows and misgivings in the rhythmic, never-ending pulse of humanity or insanity. This, this is the scene of the crime, or resembled the scene of the crime another time, another party, another night of pulsing rhythms and colliding lust. With each step, the screaming house music wrapped itself around her body, passing through her flesh and bones, beat for beat, pulse for pulse, the colored lights flashing on and off in time with the music, causing her to see and not see with a maddening blindness. The rhythm remained the same even as the melodies changed. Reaching the bottom of the stairs, Leah took a cocktail from the waiter. Holding the glass in her hands, she luxuriated in the seductive and glossy coolness of it, pressing the smooth edge to her painted lips and slowly, as if kissing her lover while he slept, rubbed the glass to her lips and let the chilled liquid fire caress her tongue, feeling its bite as it rolled gently down her dry throat. Returning the now empty glass to the waiter's tray, Leah sank deeper into the crowd of bodies. Once on the dance floor, she closed her eyes and let the music carry her away. The bass pounded her brain, moving her body in time and counterpoint to the others on the dance floor. All the while, the light swirled above her and the pool of human flesh around her, mingling scents of perfume, sweat, and smoke. The smells of lust and the temptation of the devil cloaked her, carrying her off to another time, to the scene forever present in her mind's eye as Leah danced in the now and drifted deeper into the then. A sleek, dark sedan, windows open to the cool night air and the scream of the music intensifying with the ever-increasing RPMs. The car clinging to every curve like a lover as it spent fa sped faster up the mountain road, wild in the star-studded night. The G-forces ramping up their lust, tightening its hold on their collective madness. They're raced with lust and death, reckless in the moment until the devil took control and ended the race, an event which left Leah 
to face the night forever alone. The roar of the engine, roar of the music, the scream of her voice as he bobbed in and out of the traffic, tightened this curve and then loosened the next. Blind recklessness eating at her mind and overtaking her fear, feeding the lust for more, just one more thrilling near miss. Always more, faster, drive faster. As if the kinetics, the defiance of the real, the supernatural powers of the moon all mattered and yet, as they sped up the coast, as if riding the rim of a martini glass. Brown eyes open now, scanning the crowd. Her body moving in time to the music or to the wildness of her mind, she could not be certain. Suddenly, hands at her hips, firmly pulling her in closer, grinding with the music. The world shifts and she is whipped around into strong arms, pulled firmly against his hot body. As they continue the furious and reckless dance, hearts beating wildly, minds swimming in the wilderness before them. Floating on the ever-increasing beaten pulse, Leah felt the speed in her bones, the wind in her air, hair, the reckless climb up the rim of the glass, the dark and inky liquid to her right, capped off by a studded and sugared, never-ending rim to the bowl-shaped glass, ever narrowing with the edgeless path until, until there's nothing but the sound of her scream on the silent wind and the long-stretching silence of inky, coating, suffocating blackness. Flashes of light in his mouth on hers, greedily stealing her breath, greedy in the devil's sea of tumultuous temptation. Only they are not his lips she feels, but the cold lips of her nightmares, the once warm lips with kissed and held her wrapped as they sped up the mountain pass to their very edge and then back again, pushing the limits of reality and gravity opening her brown eyes, gasping in surprise, to see those azure wonders staring back at her, knowing surely this is a trick, black magic on the devil's night, for the deepest blue, the sapphire pools of fire, which held her wrapped once upon a furious time, had flamed out, leaving her crumpled and mangled and broken to find her own way. In her mind, as the music pulsed in her body, in his hands and painfully aware of the furious beat behind his firm but still gentle tentative kiss, Leah surrendered to sink further into his kiss and her own madness for a moment. Suddenly, in the flash of lights or a blink of her eye, her mind revolted, rejecting the heady sea of pleasure before her. No, she screamed as she broke the kiss and pushed the presumed imposter away those true blue fires long ago extinguished. She would not succumb to the devil's ploy. Pushing through the crowd to the far corner, in the darkness, desperate to flee the tumultuous sea of people, the waves of sensation which conspired to assail her sanity. Firm hands again on her lips, whirling her around, backing her against the cool marble of the wall. His hands his warm hands press against her throat, her hip bone. Yes, he whispers, one more, he demands. Lips warm and fierce and taking assail her and carried her away, the pulsing of the music no longer vibrating through her body now. Instead, the ever-increasing pulsing inside her is the unwelcome madness of that other fitful time. The tires squeal, the smell of burning rubber, the spray of gravel, her mind turning the scene around and around furiously, the colors blending into an amazing tight swirl, crumpled and broken and screaming, the colors come to the inevitable stop, diving and spinning and exploding into the night until under the blanket of watchful eyes above. Brown eyes melted and released their bounty beneath the mask of frivolity, 
meeting the deep fathomless pools of blue as he once again moved to touch her face and hold her firmly for his lips amazingly warm and determined caress. Leah, he whispers. Leah, unable to break away, held there by the devil in her own desires, melted into him as formless and bodiless as her dreams. The pulse once again filled the hollow space inside, the music long forgotten, the beat of her heart driving both them both up and up to the summit, heedless of dangers, louder and louder the roar in her ears of the fierce climb and a rush of unbridled desire, becoming electric between them, charging the air and firing the madness. The colors twirled tighter and tighter, sense of time and space evaporating into the moment, the press of this man's hands, and just as Leah melted, pulverized by the relentless beat, her eyes flashed open. She stands alone against the wall, with the night air from the open door dancing against her skin, chilling the stream running softly from her shiny, confused, melted dark chocolate eyes. Thank you. I'd like to start with a John Prine song.
sits and stares out the back door screen. And all the news just repeats itself like some forgotten dream that we've both seen. Maybe I'll go and I'll call up Rudy. We work together at the factory. But what would I say if he asked what to do? I'm nothing what's with you. Nothing much to do. You know that old trees just grow Fiction Theater of the Truly Mundane proudly presents Senior Excursion, Act One. Scene, a small, almost filled minibus with nine senior citizens, mostly sitting towards the back of the vehicle. Driving is a young woman with Rick sitting directly behind her, riding along to learn how to be a backup driver. It is a bright, brisk, sunny February day, late morning. Driver. I don't know who ordered this beautiful day, but thank you. The sun is wonderful. Senior Lady One, from the middle of the bus. It's going to rain tomorrow. Senior Lady Number Two, from the very back of the bus. And it's going to snow Thursday. A guy named Bob. Where are we going after lunch? Driver. Shopping at a couple used clothing stores. Won't that be fun, Bob? A guy named Bob. I don't need nothing. Got all I need. Don't need nothing. Rick, you never know, Bob. A guy named Bob. Everything. Got it. Driver, don't forget daylight savings time. He's coming up real soon. March 8th, I think. Senior lady number three. I don't understand what daylight savings time is for. Senior lady number two. More light at the end of the day, they say. Senior lady number four. What does anybody need light at night for? Mornings when I do stuff, night is supposed to be dark. Senior ladies number one, three, five, six, and seven. Yeah, in the morning. Senior lady number four. And what about the kids standing around in the dark? I never went to school in the dark. A guy named Bob. Me either. 
went to school when it was light, came home from school when it was light. Senior lady number seven. And what about the farmers? Senior lady number five. And what about the animals? A guy named Bob. Animals don't care. Animals don't care much about anything. Curtain. Act two. Scene. The parking lot of a local restaurant. Rick and a guy named Bob are standing, waiting for the driver to come out and open up the bus doors. The rest of the group slowly drifts out of the restaurant. The sun is still shining brightly. A guy named Bob. What's your name again? Rick. Rick. A guy named Bob. You have any of that pie in there, pointing to the restaurant behind him? Rick. No, but it looked delicious. A guy named Bob. Know how much a piece of pie was in there, pointing back to the restaurant behind him? Rick. No. A guy named Bob. Two ninety-five a slice. Rick. Is that a lot? A guy named Bob looks at Rick incredulously while senior lady number four walks up to him. Senior lady number four. Hey, Bob, did you have some pie? It was delicious. A guy named Bob. How much did you pay for a piece of that pie? Senior lady number four. I don't recall. A guy named Bob. Two ninety-five. That's how much. A piece of pie used to be a dime. Senior lady number four. Oh? She pauses and thinks for a moment. Senior lady number four. Pie was never a dime. A guy named Bob. Ten cents, sure was. Senior lady number four. Well, then imagine how much a whole pie must cost. A guy named Bob. I don't even want to think about it. Curtain. Cass being driver, herself, Rick, himself. The senior lady themselves. A guy named Bob. A guy named Bob. I wrote that after my first day at my new job. <laughs> Believe me, it won't be the last one. Thank you. 
spirit of these are the good old days. This is something I wrote a couple summers ago called It Was 40 Years Ago Today. <clears throat> ah yes, the summer of love, 1967. Sergeant Peppers, Light My Fire, White Rabbit et al. I love the music. It somehow is totally ignorant of, being, of it being the summer of love. My parents helped me finance a spot on a Cleveland-area charter bus headed to the American Lutheran Church National Luther League Convention in Dallas, Texas. Being a, ten being a tender 15 years old at the time, it's an understatement that I was excited. Away from home for the first time with my mom and dad's blessing. Wow. Now, I really don't know many of the other kids that were going. I attended school in a different town than most of the Luther Leaguers. So along with being ecstatic, I boarded the Greyhound with some anxiousness, trepidation. But soon enough, we were joking, screaming, singing songs like Salvation Army at the top of our lungs. And we were all in a ter terrific adventure together. This is when I learned it was the summer of love from kids identifying themselves as hippies. This was way cool, even for Luther League. The bus stopped in Akron and picked up some more Luther Leaguers, and that's when I met Kenny. He was the first black guy I ever called my friend. Hell, he was like the third black person I'd ever met. Kenny was a couple years older than me, and he became my mentor of sorts. We wandered the streets of a city deep in the South, where less than four years earlier, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, where segregation still existed. <clears throat> Our youthful ignorance was incredibly blissful. I learned a lot from Kenny. He had, after all, lost his virginity and he was proud of it. I remember stopping by the old Ryman Auditorium, home of the Grand Old Opry then, outside of, uh, <clears throat> and I was in awe. This was in Nashville. Outside of Lake Erie and, and a short jaunt into Canada, I had never been anywhere in my short life. It seemed something new and exciting was happening every minute. All the kids from my church stayed in a hotel called the Adolphus an elegant old building that was overwhelming to me. I grew up in an old farmhouse, but this Adolphus, this was a castle. And of course, we all went crazy doing incredibly stupid things. Things like throwing a hamburger out of a 15-story window to see if it would fly like a Frisbee. My favorite, though, was folding someone up in a rollaway bed, sticking them in the elevator, and then sending them to the, down to the lobby. We all wanted our, tour, our turn, but the hotel manager eventually put the kibosh on that fun activity. And of course, then came the obligatory lecture from our sponsors about behaving like fine young Christian Luther leaders. Bummer. Bummer in the summer. Bummer in the summer of love. 
I went to a dance one night early on this long weekend <clears throat> of out-of-town exuberance at a different hotel, no less. And I did something extremely difficult for me at the time. I asked a girl to dance. In true Ricky form, I chose to, to ask her during a, a song ridiculously impossible to dance to, the Young Rascals cover of Mustang Sally. But I managed to get through the tune doing my best white kid having a mild seizure dance style. And afterwards, she told me her name was Beverly, Beverly Jansen, two S's. I told her my name. Bev asked me how old I was. I didn't lie. I'm 15, I said. How old are you? 17, but I'll be 18 soon. I felt like I'd been sideswiped by a Mustang. Talk about 1966. Beverly wasn't a girl, she was a woman. And before I could put my flat feet back on the ground, Beverly smiled at me. She didn't flinch, I fell in love. It was the summer for it. I walked her back to her hotel after the dance, I kissed her, I kissed a woman, well, almost a woman, close enough to make my, my, me feel like there was Nirvana running through something else. Bev and I spent most of the rest of the convention together not always at the convention, mind you. We danced, we walked in the Texas heats, holding hands, sweaty hands. We watched Luther League sanctioned movies together. Then, on the final afternoon, we decided to skip the convention altogether. Some presentation on healthy sexuality and responsibility, something along those lines. Emboldened by my new girlfriend, who was almost a woman, with a confidence I had never felt before, I asked her if she would like to go up to my room and uh, talk. She said yes. Getting off the elevator, I grew more and more anxious. What if my roommates decided to skip as well? Or worse, what if a sponsor caught us? Then, to add to my paranoia, down the hall from the hotel room was a maid vacuuming. Oh my God, she could walk right in on us. Call the hotel manager or the police. Beverly smiled. I put the do not disturb sign on the doorknob, hoping it would solve my worry. It did not. The two of us chatted for a little while, then we kissed. Then we French kissed. Then we made out with a passion new to me. My system was an overdrive. I said, excuse me for a minute, and rushed to the door, flung it open, and yelled over the vacuum to the maid, you aren't coming in here, are you? The cleaning lady nodded no, and I relaxed for a while. Beverly and I continued our uh, <clears throat> discussion, and soon I found myself, my hand to be specific, touching her breast outside her blouse. Beverly smiled. We kissed some more. Then I bolted to the door, again yanked it open, and repeated to the confused and amused maid, are you sure you aren't coming in here? This time she laughed and yelled, I am not coming in there. <laughs> Why a pretty brunette woman child from the middle of Iowa would continue to find me appealing at this point is still a mystery to me. I sat down next to her and we picked up where we left off. I decided to go to second base, a place I had never been, unless you count the couple times I actually got a hit in Little League, but I don't count that. I slowly worked my hand under her blouse while we were kissing. Then to her back where I discovered, for the very first time in my life, and much to my dismay, bra hooks. Not one bra hook, 
not two bra hooks, but three bra hooks. Who in the hell invented this anyway? Ironically, I'll bet it was a man. And why in the hell are they in back? I was amazed at how I was somehow keeping this progressive. I mean, unhooking a girl's bra while playing console hockey is no small feat, especially for a greenhorn 15-year-old. Then one, one class split go, then a second, finally the third. Bev's bra seemed like a slingshot, and then, and then, her pendulous mounds of quivering flesh fell out of their restraints and into my awaiting hungry hands. Sort of. Big lesson here in this elegant Dallas hotel room for Ricky Brown. Life isn't how Ian Fleming describes it. Beverly Jansen was a real, almost a woman from a real Iowa. And her breasts, real, honest, beautiful, soft, firm, real. I knew this even though my eyes never saw them. I don't know whether it was the shock from Bev's bra seemingly flying off after hook number three was undone, or the uncharted territory that made me panic. Again, yes, again, I ran to the door, flung it open, and asked a now amused yet frustrated vacuumer, you are not coming in here, right? She shook her head no. <laughs> and when I returned to my most patient love-lust interest, began kissing and moved my hand under her blouse, I realized somehow she had taken her bra off. It wasn't anywhere to be found. I was dumbfounded. It took me what seemed to be a half an hour of unfastening it, and in the time it took me to rush to the door and again make a fool of myself, Ms. Beverly had made it miraculously disappear. I was amazed, almost a woman indeed. As the afternoon waned, Bev began running her fingers through my hair. This too was a first for me. I had yet to discover the magic of long, curly hair. It was strictly forbidden for a boy to have long hair, and I hated my short, unruly mop. But Beverly loved it, and she looked deeply into my eyes while she played with my hair. I was mesmerized. I am to this day still smitten when I hearken back to this memory. My anxiety melted away at that point, safe at second base. I was in love. It was the summer fourth. Beverly and I wrote back and forth long letters for almost four years after that coming-of-age afternoon. We vowed we would meet again, and of course we never did eventually fixing my flat feet firmly on the ground. But that afternoon of adolescent abandon abandonment with a girl who was almost 18 and didn't care that I was a funny boy will always bring a smile to my face. And sometimes I hear myself thinking, you're not coming in here, are you? And I laugh out loud. 1967, it really was the summer of love. This is a different kind of love story. Pompeii and the duck. I'm not certain exactly what Pompeii was, really. Mostly German shepherd, I believe. I do remember he was always bedraggled. You see, Pompeii was what some people call an outside dog. Farmers have outside dogs, mostly. So it was a little unusual for my second family, the Shilohs, to have one in, in the jurisdiction of our small hometown. Still, Pompey was an incredibly happy hound, and it wasn't like he wasn't allowed in the house. Anytime he wanted to, he could come in. 
I assume he preferred being an outsider, a wanderer, a rebel. He'd be gone for days sometimes, only to return again, tail wagging, crotch sniffing. Perhaps Pompey was aware some dogs were chained to their doghouses, confirmed to and felt lucky. Maybe he'd witnessed that in his travels. He did seem to have an air of wisdom about him. He knew the street, he knew people, but unlike most, he knew himself. One summer, and Pompey was quite old by now, my buddy Doug Shiloh and I spent an evening at homecoming. This wasn't the usual high school variety. Our town, Olmstead Falls, had a tradition, long, traditional long weekend celebration every year for people to come back to where they grew up. There were rides and baked goods and games and small town festivities and friends. And there always seemed to be a ring toss booth. But this year it had a twist. If you threw a ring over a baby duckling's head, you won a baby duckling. Being boys around the age of 12 or so, Doug and I both believed this was the coolest of cools. Doug, Doug won one duckling, I was awarded two. Of course, our parents weren't quite so sure this was the coolest of cools. Yet baby ducklings are so adorable that our bathtub soon became Daffy and Daphne's temporary home. The Shilohs, on the other hand, were a little more pragmatic. After all, if Pompeii stayed outside, so would the duck. And if they named the duck, I sure don't remember what they named it. I think we just refer to him simply as duck. Baby ducklings do not stay babies for long. Soon enough, they are acking and quacking around our fenced-in backyard with the dogs and cats. The dog kept her distance, for good reason. Grown ducks are surly at best, mean even. Hell, they even chased the cats around. They pooped everywhere. And a duck won't think twice about biting you either. At an under-the-stars sleepover at Doug's that fall, Craig Rattray woke up screaming when Duck bit him viciously on the lip. And the poor boy's lips swelled big enough that it was difficult understanding what he was trying to say. Flah, flah, flah. The rest of us got a huge laugh out of the whole thing. But I soon learned to hate ducks as well, especially the two stalking my backyard. Apparently, my father wasn't too fond of Daffy and Daphne either. They disappeared one day. I think they ended up in the kidnapper's freezer. Pompey, however, saw things differently. He and Duck bonded, became the best of pals. After a long, arduous journey, Pompey would rust under a tree while Duck would cuddle on one of his back haunches and pull burrs out of his matted fur. Duck would sleep curled up between Pompey's legs. I even witnessed Duck riding on the dog's back when he sauntered across the yard seeking out a new power spot. No one. Not even a Shiloh could approach Pompey without Duck's permission. And the dog protected his foul friend as only a loyal canine is capable. This was an amazing relationship to witness. You had to see it to understand the breadth of the connection, the loyalty, the friendship. One day before the beginning of winter, right before Thanksgiving, Duck wandered onto Lewis Road. Not a busy thoroughfare, just busy enough, I suppose. You see, Pompey knew the street. Apparently, Duck did not. The school bus ran over Duck, killing him instantly. No one thought much about the event, except Pompey. The grieving dog wandered off, as he did many times through the years, but this time Pompey never came home. It is not unusual for a dog, or a lot of animals for that matter, to know they are dying, that this is the time to go find a place to lay and let it be. Most would say Pompey instinctually did the same. But as for me, it's the unusual bonds 
the unexplainable relationships, the surprises in this life I admire and celebrate. I knew Pompey, and I believe he died of a broken heart. If you were running over here. I got one more and then a quick song. This is called Cube. Maybe you remember Cube. It was the mid-1970s, 1977 to be exact, when what was then simply Warner Cable initiated an interactive cable system in Columbus, Ohio. It was called, for some unknown reason, Cube. Being the first cable network in the city, and this was back when cable monopolies were legal, if you had cable, you had Cube. Maybe it was called Cube after the box that sat on your living room coffee table. I'm not referring to the cable box underneath the television. This was a very large remote control. Back then, in the dark ages, you actually had to get up and, and turn the dial to change channels. No kidding, kids. So this was the very first remote control most of us ever had. Just set your, set your television's dial to 03, and you never had to get up to change channels again. Cube had buttons all over it. It was about 8 inches by 12 inches and maybe 2 inches thick. You couldn't misplace this remote if you wanted to. Besides being huge, it had what looked like the transatlantic cable running from it across your living room floor and into the box under your TV. Most Cube subscribers tripped over this garden hose-sized cable on a daily basis, including me. But ah, the simple, bo the simple joys of those heady days of virgin cable television. For the first time in a man's life, he had the pet porn right there in his house without having to go somewhere and purchase it. I mean, sure, it was mostly a lot of head-bobbing shots, but there were bare-bouncing breasts galore, and there were devious schemes to get this head-bobbing, bare-breasted fair for free. Men skulking in dark corners could be overheard whispering, Hey, buddy, did you hear that if you put a stack of magnets over number 20, you can get porn for free? Or, it's true, all you have to do is jam a large safety pin in the cube box right under the send button, and you won't get billed for porn. It's true. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I really miss the 70s, even though I did get busted for the safety pin idea. I was watching something akin to head-bobbing beach babes bear their bouncing breasts in Biloxi when the picture scrambled. Every frickin' channel was scrambled. I panicked again, pushing the big safety pin into the cube like a possessed voodoo doctor. When the repair guy confronted me about it, I stammered, uh, I think somebody messed with it at a party. He shook his head in disgust and muttered, sure, sure. He'd heard about the safety pin no doubt. What made Cube different from other cities' cables was that it was interactive. That is, you could send responses back to the television studio by casting votes on the cube remote box. A range of numbers from one to four, I think. And there were yes and no buttons at the bottom of the thing to let you communicate with the broadcaster. There were shows where you could vote for your favorite video, how the chef on the cooking show could make your eggs, weird concepts like that. The one show that caught my eye was this daily talent show. This was when I was just starting to play in Columbus as a musician. I can't remember the name of the talent show. It was on Monday through Friday in the late afternoon. The first four days would showcase three or four acts that would perform and at the end viewers at home would vote for the winner. The four daily winners would then return Friday for the weekly championship. 
and of course there were monthly winners and finally a grand prize winner for the year. Prizes were donated by local businesses. It could be anything from a haircut to a massage to a dinner for two at a local eatery. I decided to give it a shot. I took my guitar and harmonica down to Warner Cube Studios and auditioned. I played a mean version of Bob Dylan's All, All Along the Watchtower with a wicked harmonica solo. I passed the audition. Of course, no one ever failed the audition. I guess it was just a formality to give the director the choice of variety of sets on specific shows. I was told to come back next Tuesday for the competition. The days leading up to Tuesday were filled with anxiety, practice, fret, practice. You get the idea. The day finally arrived, and as I sat waiting my turn, I was surprised to see a live studio audience. I'd heard them on television, but was never sure if they were real or amateurishly recorded. But there they were, sitting in a small bleachers off to the side of the stage. People from all walks of life, children, teenagers, retired folks, people who had nothing better to do at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I reassured myself by assuming the ones voting for the winner were all those sophisticated viewers at home, the educated middle class who could afford Cube in their homes. Sure. I played, I kicked ass, I won. And there I stood at the end of the show in front of the camera, next to the smiling, camera-waving hosts, clutching my little plastic trophy, credits, credits rolling, applause filling the room. And I'm sure you'll want to come back on Friday to compete in the weekly final, won't you, Rick? The beautiful woman co-host was chirping to me. Uh-huh, fell out of my open mouth. This seemed the most exciting thing to happen to me since my instrumental surf band, The Illusions, won the junior high talent show when I was in the seventh grade. My career as a singer-songwriter was obviously well on its way. The next couple of days I was floating, savoring the exuberance of my sweet victory. My father and mother took Friday afternoon off work so most of my family could be at Cube Studios for the Friday weekly final. I was confident, and although I didn't know exactly who the other contestants were, I had watched the show enough times to know I had a very good chance of at least winning one more time. Besides, all my friends would be watching and many of them would be pushing the button on their cube boxes. Votes for me magically streaming through the thick black acu cable accumulating at the studio, culminating in yet another triumph for the guy with the guilty 50 guitar. Friday came, my wife, my mom and dad, my sister, they were all sitting in the bleachers on the cube talent show set. I reprised the torrid tradition of All Along the Watchtower one more time. The audience loved it, especially the harmonica part at the end. My family beamed at me, and I felt good. But then the karma shifted. An older gentleman, a 75-year-old guy, nice guy, I found out later, came out with a handsaw and a violin bow. Now this was hardly the first time I'd see somebody play the saw. There was a peculiar teacher in my high school who taught played the saw every year at the high school talent show. Mr. Mossman, weird guy, good saw player. If you've, ever, if you've never had the pleasure of listening to someone play a Sears Craftsman handsaw, well, the word that comes to mind is unearthly. It's a kind of almost continuous whining, like lost souls calling to heaven for rescue, for the promise of eternal sleep. And as this old man drew his bow over the bent saw blade, I could see the somewhat uneasy inquisitiveness of the faces of the studio audience. When he finished, they applauded politely and I felt confused. But when the final votes came in, it was close. The 75-year-old man with the handsaw was declared the weekly winner. I was second to a man in his handsaw. 
I was beside myself with dismay. I was in shock. My family tried to cheer me up. Make the best of it, son. It's just a bunch of kids at home voting on their parents' cable, my father reassured me. But I tried to make sense of it all. And the lesson I eventually learned is that many times the only sense of things in this life is nonsense. And that's not always a bad thing. And the nonsense continued with the two of us up on stage at the end of the weekly finals. The bubbling hosts, while the credits rolled and the audience applauded, and had Me, I got a jar of Oroville Redenbacher popcorn. The 75-year-old guy, he got a pair of bright red Speedos. Somehow this made me feel better. So if you're ever at the beach someday and you see a 105-year-old man romping around in bright red Speedos, walk up and congratulate him. But you may have to wind your way through a throng of bare-breasted, bouncing beach babes, swooning to the eerie, hypnotic sound of him playing, oh so earnestly, a Sears Craftsman handsaw. It's time for a song or two. I have no idea what year it is. <laughs> this is for a man and his saw. Riders, we're approaching now, and the rain began. 
Thanks for coming.